0: Before we get going into your Hockey IQ podcast episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Rapid Shot. Rapid Shot is the smart shooting lane. Uh, It's like a batting cage for hockey players. Very cool. Tracks your shot in three ways accuracy, shot speed, and reaction time. Uh, Easy to use. Uh, Actually, I used it when I played and was growing up. Very easy. Simply scan your phone in, select your settings, and start shooting. Uh, You can see your stats on the app and online. You can check them out at rapidshot.com. A great small business. I actually grew up with one of the owner's sons and have played with all the family members by now, uh, just in local pickups here in Ohio. Very cool local business. Awesome product. I love it. I know quite a few NHLers have them in their homes. Uh, A lot of D1 programs have it at their rinks. So you have to check this out. Rapidshot.com. Check it out. Rapidshot. Thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast.
1: On today's podcast, we have Rob Shremp. Uh, everyone seems to know Rob Shremp. He's got hands like no one else, silkiest pair of mitts I've ever seen, uh, makes Patty Kane look rough. He's a great guy. He started 44 Vision Hockey. Uh, really excited for this one. But before we get going, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Easy Crease. Uh, you just attach this to the net, you got a marker at the end, it makes a crease. Uh, it's perfect for those small sided games. So, like I say, be kind, give your goalie a good looking crease. Dan, what you take away?
2: That was a lot of fun. I grew up watching YouTube videos of Rob Shrimp. So it was a, kind of like a cool experience to be on the other side of it and now get, get a chance to talk to him like 15 years later. What stood out to me, man, a lot stood out. I think that the line at the end of the podcast, learn one thing from every guy you play with. He said that Dan Biles taught him that. And I think that's unreal advice and something that I'm going to pass along to the players that I coach. So that's definitely something that stood out for me. How about you?
1: I loved how he talked about it from an offensive standpoint of breaking down the game into sectors and also routes. Uh, I think that's very important. and People don't realize it as you go up the levels of getting consistent routes, allow you to have that consistency in your game and get the looks that you want uh, that lead to creating a lot of offense. So,
2: not only are routes, do routes make your game more effective as you go up the ranks, but it also makes you easier to play with because there's an expectation amongst your teammates that the things that you do to become successful are habits and not like one-off instances. So I also found that, you know, all that talk on routes to be fascinating. Good point, Greg.
1: Yeah. There, there's just so much in this episode that you need to say for it all. I sh- he, there's not a minute that goes by that you're not learning something or taking a good question or a good thought away. So I'm really excited for this one.
2: Without further ado, our interview with Rob Shrimp. Welcome to the podcast,
1: Rob Shrimp. Glad you could join us after a nice day playing out on the pond.
3: Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for pushing back, boys. I was uh, happy to get out on the pond today and skate with skate with some teammates and some buddies and enjoy the uh yeah enjoy the nature back to where it kind of started Pond hockey
2: yeah that's awesome so maybe if you could just give our listeners a quick background you're in europe now um we'll get into 44 vision i've got a bunch of follow-up questions there but maybe just right now like what what you're doing on the ice who you're playing with and, and things like that
3: yeah so i live in uh, latvia now my wife's and i met her when i played in the khl here so we uh, relocated last may to the latvia and uh and in that time timeframe uh, I started skating a little bit and I got asked to play for the team MOGO. It's in the uh, Optibet hockey league, the OHL, it's a Latvian league. Um, so we yeah, had joined them and I've been playing with them. I've played like 12 games now. So took a couple of years off from the game and, and then I came back and, and jumped on this team, uh, you know, while we're here. And it was, it was, it's been a lot of fun to, to get back into it and kind of shake the rust off a little bit.
2: Yeah. What's it like coming out of retirement, so to speak?
3: you know it's for me that my my hands were okay and my and my shots p- still pretty much there but it's just the lungs you know I think it's kind of maybe it's pretty obvious to say that but like and then the other thing too is even when you're skating kind of practice or men's league pickup games it's a total different ball game when you actually drop the puck for for a real game the you know you get that like metal taste on your tongue almost the first couple of games it was it was hard, but uh, it's, it's been fun to kind of start to build my game back up piece by piece.
1: That's hilarious. I just had a player today. He's like, oh, man, I was feeling like this uh, sensation on my tongue. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's just the iron in there, and you're out of shape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get on the bike. <laughs> exactly. So that's awesome. Well, happy to have you back in the game and obviously doing great things with 44 Vision Hockey. Um, kind of before we get into that, I'm curious, if, how do you watch a game to study it and get better?
3: Yeah, no, I think just watching for personal, my, when I watch my game film, game shifts, it's just seeing where I made mistakes, where I could have, you know, made different plays or what other uh, opportunities were available and what my choices were, and it's kind of studying those sort of things. Sometimes, you know, the game happens pretty fast, so it's you think you saw something, and that game film's huge. You know, it's, it's very telling. Um, and obviously being from a, a, up on a perch and looking over the game, Um, really gives you a lot of insight so it's kind of that just studying details and that and decision making if i'm doing it for another player it's the same thing kind of seeing what opportunities they could have taken advantage of or decisions they could have made differently and then we then we just kind of discuss what they saw during the play because for me it's and again jumping back into the game and playing again it's kind of that same thing i want to see what's going on in the game uh from the ice level playing in it and having the you know experience of it as well so that dialogue with the player what'd you see what'd you feel and then we dissect it like that and in my own game I did you know that's that's how I got to doing the platform stuff was that's that's what I saw so much benefit and then when I got it when I get into the game situation I've already seen it I've already pictured it and it it just
1: you know I can execute a lot faster. So what do you think is something that maybe you can do easily over video and really get that video to game transfer and you don't so much need to be on the ice doing lessons with the kid uh, or or professional player? Like what can you utilize video for to really drop into the game the next day?
3: Uh, I think for me, a lot of offense and a lot of plays are, are, it's like sequences. A lot of things happen quite often. So it's kind of catching on to patterns and being able to pick the patterns up. And that's, you know, that's something where you can study game film. And that's, that's what's important is, is what's happening in the games. What are the trends in the game and where are the places to take advantage of again? um, So that's somewhere where you really start to build with video is like the the pitcher memory and seeing the play and envisioning the play. And again, like I mentioned, my own, that's why I did my own game. I still do is, and then those things happen. Then you see the mistake or you see the opportunity and you can take advantage of it. And video can help you do that if if you're studying it the right way and you're talking about it and uh, having the player you want them to see that play so it's not somewhere i'm telling them what to do or the coach tells them what to do it's you want to have that player see the hole or see the opportunity and then you know from from there they you know they start to change their thought process going into that uh, situation
2: yeah that makes a lot of sense before we keep diving any deeper here i want to go back like 15 or so years we're ballpark the same age greg too i remember watching highlights of you on like YouTube. And I remember watching like the videos of everything on, on YouTube, like live, like, what do you attribute your hands to?
3: I mean, I worked hard on my game. I spent a lot of time, I was a rink rat and I always had a stick in my hand, whether it was a hockey stick or lacrosse stick. Um, one of the two always, and I was always working on that, um, you know, really working on feeling the puck and feeling the stick and just being comfortable doing different things. And, and back in those times, I, I was not shy to, to be creative. And that, that's somewhere where that bringing that creativeness to my game into my stick handling and, and how I, you know, maneuvered the puck, it uh, really helped me with kind of conquer and feel and touch. And then it's when you can kind of get that, you know, let's say call a cross style stuff with the hockey puck or batting it out of the air or kicking it off your skate. These kind of things are, are very complex. If you can conquer those, then, you know, just normal stick handling is very easy. So it's a walk in the park. Uh, so just kind of pushing boundaries with with things and, and really challenging myself when I was even just playing around in, on the concrete, shooting on a net by myself, doing different kind of things with the puck and just being creative. And then again, lacrosse was a huge factor. Um, I felt lacrosse really opened up my wrist and opened up my hands and taking the same motions from the lacrosse stick to the hockey stick.
2: Yeah, it's funny you say that. So like you, you're definitely not the first player to have played lacrosse and hockey, but I feel like you might've been the first to play on a 3d plane the way you did. Like you were playing in the air more, I feel like than other people. Is that really just from lacrosse? Like what, who who did you draw inspiration from, or was it just, just strictly from lacrosse? It was a lot
3: from lacrosse and, and, You know, I used to mention that using the air. I use the air a ton. I I don't make, I make probably more sauce passes than I do flat passes because I find (laughs) sauce passes changes the whole dimension when you're buying time and space, a puck in the air kind of times it with speed. Um, It changes different variables as far as what can get picked off and makes it tougher for, for opponents to, to really take away things from you. If you can learn how to use the air. And then, you know, I did a lacrosse thing only a few times. uh, in a game situation, but it changes the whole dynamic and it's starting to happen now. And guys are doing it from behind the net all the time. And I, I see it and I, I hear a lot of, you know, there's not a lot, but there's pushback of why, why, but like, how else could you score from behind the net and for the you novel know, we'll call it the Sveshnikov, but it was obviously the Mike leg that goal. I saw, I think it was Gary Gates did it for Syracuse uh, lacrosse team. He jumped from behind the net. It's called the air gate. And it was such a unique and dynamic play and creative. And now that we're seeing that in hockey, I think it's, I think it's great. I think it's really cool finding different ways to put the puck in the net.
2: Let's Use talk about that pushback. Uh, Cause I've always been so fascinated by like why there is this pushback, you know, do you think that that is starting to, obviously in some, in some circles in the NHL, like you said, Sveshnikov's trying it. So it's, it's at least gaining like some acceptance, but I'm curious what you feel about, um, you Know, like, just generally speaking, how there's still pushback, and maybe not just that example, but things that are that need to be conquered in the game that kind of get some I don't know, old school ruffled feathers. Like, what do you think about all that?
3: Uh, I, th- I, I like the players pushing the pushing the envelope and, and being innovative, and uh, I think there's different sides of the game. I think now we're realizing when you see, it's, you know, there's cap cap geek what's it called cap geek cap friendly whatever these sites you start to see what kind of money's in the game um it's good for entertainment and that's something where hockey i think lagged behind for a long time is understanding the, the entertainment value of of the sport uh for a long time i think a lot of the entertainment value was the rough and tough stuff and now we're seeing that change where we're talking about you know post concussion uh, concussion syndrome you know these these things that are happening uh, CTE and that, that rough and tough stuff was was a big factor of, of hockey for a long time. You know, the line brawls and the bench cleaner bras and that was the entertainment value where I think now the game has to get more creative and, and and embrace the skill instead of trying to say put you stop doing that crap and finish your hits. It's more like actually finish less hits and get more skilled. Um, the game's really going that way. So I think that's entertaining for people to watch. You got to think of ways to you know now it's obviously different with no fans in the building, but when there are fans in the building, you're gonna have to you know find ways to to entertain and and be a business in that sense. So I think it's somewhere to think of it in that regard, it's I think the the grips will loosen a little bit and and let guys kind of have some freedom. I mean at the end of the day too it's not about showboating, it's really about trying to execute and, and make a play to help put a you know put a goal on the scoreboard for your team. Um and then for me drawing from my big inspiration growing up was Michael Jordan watching the way that he dominated and, you know, dunking from the follow line with his tongue out. He's, first, it was entertaining. It was unbelievable that he could dunk from there. And then, you know, at the end of the day, it's two points on the board. It's all, it's a win, win, win. And I think that's somewhere where the, the hockey game's starting to come to. You're seeing him celebrate the skill a lot more. So it's, it's exciting to see.
1: Yeah. You got, you love to see it. Uh, even, I remember when Patrick Kane, did the ear like I can't hear you after uh, Matthews did it (laughs) 6-6 it's an entertaining game I'm loving where we're going with possession and whatnot so kind of going from old school to new school I know you played for Dale Hunter in London I'm I'm curious what you kind of learned from him and how he coached and how he coached you specifically and and where that's taken the game because he's obviously had so many great players through there I mean he's had to put a stamp on the game somehow
3: yeah, definitely. Dale, Dale was such a competitor and, and really learned how to win under Dale. Uh, you know, the things that he would do during the game on the bench and the way he coached the team was really unique. And, and it, I talk about it quite often. When he made game in-game decisions, it was amazing how fast it paid off, uh, whether the momentum was swinging the other way for the other team and he would make a quick line change, change it up, totally, whatever, put like his example. You used to throw like Presti up on my line, Presti would go out and make a big hit. We get the puck back, wind up getting a scoring chance or score a goal that we take the momentum back just by him taking my right winger off, putting Presti there because he knew we needed a little grit and these like these in-game decisions were, were all to win and he had such a good pulse on the game. Uh, so I learned a lot about that and the way he, he watched and he'd see what the game needed and he'd make the call and he, you know, it was, it was fun to be a part of because we did win a championship under him and won the Mem Cup and, had a record record season the, the one year. So really learned how to win. And, and when it came playoff times, the things that he would do to win, it was amazing. It's, it was, it felt uh, what's the right word. It was, it was fun to be a part of on the bench because you see what he was kind of doing and it was, it was effective and it was, and it's been effective. I think he's well over 800 wins now. Um, I think that speaks pretty clearly about what kind of coach he is and uh, a couple Memorial Cups and a bunch of OHL championships. So the way that they're for winning him and his brother, Mark, it's, it's, it's great to be around. It makes you feel good as a player to be in that organization because you know that
1: the team's going to do whatever it needs to be done to win. Well, you also faced some adversity. Uh, you guys had some great battles against golf a few years. I mean, how, how has adversity played into your success? Success. Yeah, no, I had to,
3: my first year there in London. Actually, I had some. You know, Dell was tough, really tough on me, and um, I got. You know, I didn't play much in the playoff series against Guelph in the Western Conference Finals, uh, as he wanted more of the defensive shutdown players to, to play, and and you know that's what he felt he needed to win. At the time, it was pretty hard to take. You know, pretty sour, but it, it lit a fire under my ass for the next season. I came back and. You know, pretty pissed off at him and, and wanted to prove myself to everybody else and, and show that I could play and you know I wound up being only second in the points in the playoffs to Corey Perry and uh, we gonna win a Memorial Cup so his his he lit a fire and he you know he was that was his decision he thought it was uh, what the team needed to win and, and I you know I accepted it I wasn't happy about it but um, Dale is not scared to make the tough decisions and and do what he thinks it, you know again like I said do what it takes for uh, the team to win so I was at the harsher end of that for that year but uh, I still respect the guy I have a ton of respect for him because we did win the next year and it it did light a fire under my ass and you know played the very good hockey the next year and played the right way and played both ways I was more of an offensive guy and that's how I grew up I was really offensive and I needed to be taught you know there's two two ends of the rink (laughs) and it's not that I you know was like a cherry-picking cheating player I was a centerman so I was you know, kind of back helping the deep. most I was always in my own zone. It was just a little bit of like uh, attention to details what I lacked, chasing the puck around those sort of things. So he mentioned it, mentioned it, mentioned it, and then finally sat me. <laughs>
2: so <laughs> he hammered the hammered his point home. That's funny. Grew up in in uh, New York, obviously American. Uh, was it OHL all the way for you? What was your journey like there?
3: Yeah, up till I mean, I started playing Tier Two in the Ontario Provincial League at uh, fourteen and Tim Conley was a guy that I, I looked up to as like my mentor and, and idolized him and watched his path go through Erie in the first round draft pick to the Islanders. So it was kind of tailoring in that. And we, you know, I was having some success at, you know, 14, I was, I was pretty high up in the league in points and at 15 I led the league in points in the OPJHL. And then um, it was kind of clear, like I didn't want to stay at that level for three more years to go to college. And getting get drafted first overall the OHL, was, it was pretty clear, like, what my path was going to be. So I um, wanted to take the next challenge right away, and, and that was presented. The OHL was, you know, the biggest challenge and, and best hockey I could play at that time. So it was pretty clear to us.
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. Okay, I want to pivot now. We've mentioned it a few times, uh, your platform, 44Vision. How did it all start? Like, what's the origin story of it? And then obviously we'll dig into it, but I just, I'm curious how it all came about.
3: So I started working on Instat, just going through the stuff, my old agent, Pat Poloni, handed me an account to go check it out. And he's like, I think you really like this. And I I got on there and started playing around with it. And I really enjoyed the tools of being able to uh, illustrate and and kind of break plays down and, and highlight, again, show players these opportunities that were available and what to look for. And then from there, I started working with a few players in, in Czech Republic. They had great feedback and, and, and guys really enjoyed it and really kind of got the concept of it and understood my my help, uh, what I had to interject in their in their game. And then from there, I, I was playing out uh, in a senior circuit thing with a guy, uh, Dave Cochran from the uh, Texas Titans. We go to like, we were out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and I was just trying to tell them what I was up to. And where I wanted to take it as far as the make it into a platform, have a bunch of coaches on there. And um, from there, he, we partnered up and, and started building this thing out. So it was, a, it was, it's, I mean, that was the last January, literally a year ago uh, this weekend. And it's, it's been a unique ride and it's been a lot of fun. And we,
2: we built something pretty cool. Did you play in the Jackson hole tournament last year? Yeah. So
3: we go to like Jackson hole, there's Vail, Breckenridge. So I came out, I came out for that, my buddy played Christian Beaudry. I played tier two junior with him and grew up playing Bantam hockey. We grew up playing uh, hockey together. And I was out, I was going out to Corey Perry's thousandth game in Dallas and Beaudry was like, bring your stuff, man. Come play, come play with our men's league team. And I was like, I, I kind of contemplated. But I was like, wait a minute, I'm going to miss the Paris dinner the night before. Like I'm here to see Paris. I'm like, maybe another time. So he introduced me to Dave Cochran. And I was like, I can't make it this weekend, but maybe I'll do another one. And he set me up with that Jackson hole weekend
2: it was it was awesome that's super cool yeah it's called the Black Diamond Hockey League there's teams from Aspen, Bozeman, Breckenridge, Jackson Hole, Park City it's that's awesome that's like a bucket list thing we yeah that's awesome okay so obviously you took it from this just like a, kind of an idea and then how what can you attribute like your growth to like how did you t- decide to take it from like okay this is a cool idea to like I'm gonna build this out I'm gonna get a website I'm gonna hire a bunch of coaches like what's that whole thing been like Yes, yeah, so I, I really wanted to
3: create a, a, an ecosystem for the coaches, and, and I thought other, other ex-players or even current players would enjoy this part of it and enjoy passing on what they know about the game and their experience in the game and, and their you know, tips and stuff. So having, I wanted to have an impact on the growth of hockey and, and overall, so I started actually talking with the girls because I wanted to help the women create a lane and, and get recognized and also pass along their knowledge. Like They're very knowledgeable. They're very skilled. They're unreal at hockey. I think for me, I wanted to find a way to help them create a lane to, to give back to the game for the growth of women's hockey, and then also at the same time being able to get compensated for that, being an expert, so to speak. You know, they're on the Olympic team and playing the NWHL and these sort of things, and there's a ton of value of them handing on the, you know, passing on their knowledge to the next players and, and helping that game grow. And you know, in my opinion, that's where I saw that's what I felt like the game needed for, for women's hockey is having that turnover and having the girls that are kind of on their way out, passing it back. You know, I think like the men's game, you see a lot of guys doing that, going back and coaching Peewee or Bantams and uh, the, the knowledge stays in the game where unfortunately the women have to, you know, they kind of have to go and get jobs or they have to figure something out. They can't donate all the time. And if they're not getting compensated for that, all that time they put into the game. And um, that's where I went first. I started talking to the girls and, and, they love the idea and love the concept. And I started talking to some ex teammates of mine and they love the concept, love the idea. And then we built it out to, we got about 36 coaches now. It's a great, I think it's a great resource for players
1: looking to climb that ladder
3: that, that we all went through.
1: So who are some of the defensive experts? Cause obviously you're, you're an expert on the offensive side of it and you were actually wonderful player there, but you obviously said you struggled on the defensive side of things. So how did you go about filling those voids and, and what are some key areas of, hockey IQ in the defensive end that people aren't thinking about.
3: Yes. Yeah, so we, I got uh, a guy like Glenn Metropolitan, who was, uh, he played third, fourth line in the NHL, but he's actually a stud as well. He went over to Europe and tore it up and led, led the leagues over there when he was over there. So he, he understands both sides of the game as far as, you know, sometimes you got to you know, turn it off the offensive side and play strict D. Um, that being said, he put up some good decent numbers in the show when he was on that third, fourth line. So uh, Metro is a good guy for that. Uh, Craig Cunningham, uh, really good player. I played against him in my pro career and the way he played on and both sides of the pocket are really something that players can benefit from and, and take care of your own zone and um, you know for him as well he's a, he was a scout for the Arizona coyotes for a long time for a few years. so that gives him another kind of sort of feather in the cap where he can help players of what what the observers are looking for you know what kind of things stick out or what things are you know can help your game and that sort of thing so, those, those guys were the forwards that I really came to mind. And then Danny Savret and uh, Freddie Meyer, a couple ex teammates of mine and good buddies. And they, those guys, I got to play with them both. And the way that they played their own zone and smart, very high, hockey IQ was very high on both of those guys. Um, not big, massive D. So they're more thinkers of the game and more strategic on how to get the puck back and how to move the puck and how to create offensively without giving up. Um, so those guys were, I thought, they're a huge value add. And that's, that's how I went about it. I, again, the a few of the first couple players that I had, that, that was the thing. I was like, I, I don't ask me on the D side. Like, I'm not the guy to ask. I wasn't the shutdown guy. I'm not the plus-minus leader. <laughs> so, see, like, you're going to probably want to keep, you know, do an offensive session with myself, and then you can – I would definitely advise doing it with one of the other coaches to, to see it from a different perspective. And that's something the platform really I wanted to have was – player comes to this platform they have all the resources they need as far as you know information and knowledge uh on whatever side they want if they wanted more offensive help and how to create it, i can definitely help that and again a metro can do that as well or a county but that's uh, the power play and offensive creation was kind of my specialty um, but you know, there's, there's resources for them to, to pick up whatever they, they need from the game
2: yeah, like you said, 36 coaches and counting. So it's obviously a great resource. Talk us through the process. So someone reaches out to you uh, or gets a hold of you know, the info on the website. What's the process like from there to becoming a client?
3: Yes, yeah, so they sign up on the website and then we get notified and then we set up whoever they choose. They get to pick their coaches who they want to use. They get three choices of coaches in case the first or second are busy or, or whatever that are full, and then they get the third choice. Uh, or if the first is available, obviously they get it right away. Um, the, we get notified and then that coach sets up a Zoom call with that player and then just have a, you know, a little back and forth, see what the player wants to work on, get to know the player a little bit. So when we start watching their film, we kind of have an idea of what to look for and how to help them instead of going into a blind. So after that Zoom call, you know, the player gets set up with a library and the coach gets the game film with that player and we, and we go and uh, cut up shifts and we put them in the library for them for them to study. And then uh, once we upload their, for their session, we upload their clips, we set up another zoom call and kind of go over them together. And I think that's where the value is of having that back and forth with the player. Like, what do you see? Here's what I think you could do. And if it's somewhere where the player can't see themselves doing it, that's where we take the next step of like, okay, here's some, you know, practice purposeful practice plans for you to work on for these things that are kind of lacking in your game. And so you can be executing in these areas when these opportunities present themselves. So it's, kind of a finding the spots where they can get better or helping them maximizing their games if they can't do it and they don't see themselves doing it, then we help them in the practice plans.
1: That's awesome stuff. And I know people can definitely get some value out of that, uh, especially picking your brain and others uh, that are so good. I'm curious, maybe what are some of the favorite areas of the rink and maybe just diagram out uh, some plays for us the best you can of, of how you like to create offensively and help people create more offense?
3: Um, you know, I talk a lot about categories of the face, uh, categories of the offensive zone and faces of the net are the two terms that I use a lot. And it's, it's just trying to simplify the game as much as I can for players so they can see it in a, in a different light in an easier light. Um, you know, so, and I was talking about the game and this sexy actually Josh Robinson, a goalie on our platform. It was like, I was talking about how I saw the offensive zone and how I like to teach it. And he was like, you're going to love this <clears throat> diagram that I have. And it's, it's a, it's actually, the way I was describing how I saw the game, he's like, there's a chart for the goalies that shows how the goalie played the offensive zone. And it was basically fit right to what I was saying. So it's been a really big help uh, information f- to pass on to the player. So categories are basically how the goalie sees it, how the goalie plays the angles. So that goes into cat, that goes into faces of the net, right? So each, I always try to manipulate the faces of the net, change the angles. If you want to use different terminology, but if you also categorize the offensive zone, you talk about faces of the net. So it's, first of all, you you try to get to a category where the face of the net is more available to you and you have a better angle on the shot. If you can't get to that category or you can't get there on your own for a shot, you try to find a pass. So what it does is it it helps you, first of all, see if you can get there yourself. And then second, right away process. Is there an option that's there to pass to, to get a great ACE scoring chance or to give my player a, a good look at the face of the net? And these kind of things really help I think simplify it for players and when you diagram it out it's just it for me it makes it a lot easier a lot of the guys really enjoy that information and see it in a different light so it's all this other stuff that you're doing during, in the offensive zone if you're not trying to get into a category where the face of the net is you know you have a good chance of scoring like then in my opinion it's you're wasting your time if you're not trying to execute and you're not trying to attack or you know, get to the net or make a play to the net you're doing, then what are you doing really? To <laughs> be blunt about it. But um, so then that's where we talk about those categories and we talk about ways to manipulate them and ways to get sticks out of the way. So you can make these plays salesmanship. And, and when you're selling something to get what you want out of it, you got to know what you want out of it. And that's how I try to help the players. Like, what do you want out of this situation? What were you thinking? Like, well, now watch this. If you do this, you get this D stick to move and now you get to take a, a step inside here. You're three feet closer to look at the face of the net. Now, do you think you can score and really walking them through like that and to help them visualize it and it just shapes their thought process a little bit. And uh, the players, are, you know, they become re- out of it pretty confident knowing that they have some new kind of idea inside the offensive zone instead of just cycle it, get it back to the D and everybody go to the net. <laughs> you know, there's more you can do inside there.
2: Right. Yeah. That's amazing. Is there anything that stands out for you men or women's or both really, uh, as like a common mistake that you see that, uh, really at like any level you can just like bank on being able to like add this to someone's game.
3: Uh, that's tough. That's not really one specific thing. Each player is unique. Each player is different. And there's, you know, that's, there's not, there's not one, I don't think it sticks out to me. That's, um, I could say certain, like a small tip was like always trying to come out of the, out of the corners with your forehand, manipulating it. So you come out of your forehand. That's something that a lot of players don't think about. They just kind of, you know, just trying to grind it out on the boards, but that's, that's not a huge detail, but it is, you know, it's a small one that adds up. And I think a lot of players don't think about that going in. They're just kind of, you know, you got a pre-plan going into the corner, how you want to come out of there and be effective and have the most control. And I think coming out of there, whatever way you can find a way to come out of your forehand, it really, uh, gives you a little bit more of an edge to to execute a play.
2: Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to ask another bad generalization question then. Are there, <laughs> Fire away. Yeah, yeah. Are, are there any differences, uh, like, fundamentally, you see between men and women hockey players that are maybe surprising to you? Not, not really.
3: <clears throat> to be honest with you, yeah. I, th- I think – Get starting to watch some women's games and, and a lot of the details are the same. You know, where how to execute, how to get into these categories that are effective to the net and, and some thought process. So there's not there's not that much. I think the only you know, the difference of women's hockey to men's is, is the men's have a little bit more uh accuracy with the long range shots and the long range plays. Um, you know, obviously the, I think it comes down to I think, a thing of strength and and going clappers from the blue line bar down is is realistic in the men's and there's only, there's a few girls that can do it in the women's, but I think the long range shooting is what sticks out to me.
1: So off this, are there any star clientele of yours that that we know about? Uh, I've heard some rumblings that you may have done some work with, with Rossi and maybe what are some things that you're seeing at those higher levels that guys are are keying in on and asking questions about?
3: Yeah. Rossi was awesome. I got to do a camp with him last summer and uh, in Austria for three weeks and, worked on some video clips for him. And um, it's really about finding those scoring areas and where to be effective. And with a guy like Rossi going in at 18, first round traffic, you're trying to give him realistic views of what he's going to see when he gets there and what kind of things, you know, again, practicing with a purpose. So these routes are are specific to what, what the realistic looks are when you're walking off at that high level like that. Cause junior, it goes, you know, he had a big point season in junior. I understand that fully And, and those lanes of Some of them are the same, some lanes that you can still execute at that, at the NHL level. And some things are really unrealistic. Uh, Guys are much better positioning and small little details to manipulate. And again, be a salesman to get what you want out of it. So it's really thinking about it and then executing in practice plans and getting the routes. So you're super comfortable. You're almost conquering those routes, but that's, that's it really. Those guys are kind of finding those sequences or finding those uh, trends that are are presenting themselves. And then how do we, how do we get through there? How do we get to that spot to, to execute? And how do we again manipulate or sell to get what we want out of
1: the situation? I want to follow up real quick on, on what do you mean by talking about routes? Are we talking like rolling speed or what is route routes for you? What are the consistencies that you're seeing um, out of these high level guys and even how you would think just about routes in general?
3: So for me, a lot of the stuff like playing off the the markings on the ice and, and the faceoff, dot's a big one. I think a lot of offense revolves around or you know, revolves around that faceoff dot on either side and running the routes is it's, it's a lot more than it seems. It's a lot of footwork and it's a lot of your hands and feet got to be ready when you get to the certain spot. So it's that having that route be. Um, you're conquering it. So you, it's, again, it goes back to, for me, it's footwork. It's really having your feet ready to execute when you get to the dot or certain markings on the ice. And that's what I try to pay attention to is like, if you get to here look what the face looks like and look what category you're in, how do we get there? Again, it's about footwork and that, that those practice routes are with the purpose of that. So you're really, when you're out there by yourself, you're, you know, there's no pressure, but you're, you're doing the small things of like, okay, what do my feet feel like? What do my hands and feet like, feel like together? What's my release feel like from this spot? How do I get my foot placement into a good shooting position from here? But at the same time, two or three seconds before that, I was manipulating selling something to get what I wanted out of it. And those routes are really, again, I said it three times now, but it's a lot of footwork and it's a lot more thought process into it than you think. And there's there's other pieces of it like shoulder shimmies and a lot of de watch your chest. So it's about, you know, being deceptive with your chest, faking right, knowing you're gonna go left. OK, now there's the crossover piece with my hands got to come from the left to the right or from the right to the left to get to here. How do we release? That's a route to me. Um, and that's that's something that's really you can practice to your blue in the face. And you just want to make sure you're absolutely comfortable with these things.
2: Earlier this pandemic, not to date ourselves, uh, I saw you on a hockey analytics night. I can't remember what the thing stood for. Hannock. Uh, anyway, it was an analytics, like zoom video call, uh, public, and you were kind of like one of the, you were introducing 44 vision, but then stayed active on the call. And I was curious, like, what do you see analytics spot in hockey? Like where, where does it fit in with all this?
3: For me on this side of it, helping the players, it's, it's really categorizing what the hot spots are and the hot zones are for me i understood i don't know how to do analytics i don't know how to break them down i couldn't do them i'm not a, i'm not on that side of it but watching them and seeing what they represent it show, again shows you hot spots so for me coaching the players is like look at these spots that are effective or look at these spots that have the best percentages and and look how you are in them so to kind of bouncing them off the players like that so i feel like analytics are great for categorizing and organizing you know what's going on in the game and i feel like our job at 44 is like teaching the, the now what and that's how I felt when I played my last year in Austria it was like, there's all these stats, but it was like, Hey, like now what? Like, tell me, I, okay. I see these things, but like, are you going to show me something from there or teach me something from there? Right. It needs to be and actionable. Right. The next piece is like, Hey, like how do I s- execute from these spots that are, you know, higher percentages or how do I get there? And then we talk about, you know, probably said it a thousand times now, but routes, how, what routes do we take? What do we do on these routes to, to get to these spots? And, How do we make them realistic for me as an individual player to get there to execute? Um, That's, that's something where I I think the analytics really helped the players and helped me as a, as a, you know, kind of a coach to work with the players with their numbers and their, you know, what they got going on and how to extend plays. You know, if they're not, they don't have much ozone time of control puck, like how do we keep the puck on our stick, not for analytics sake, but like to find the right plays and find the right passes that are effective. And, continue to play. You know, you don't want to be a guy with the, you know, your turn, your turnover ratio or bad pass ratio is way higher than your effective, right? Um, kind of, I guess it's common sense, but the analytics shows you exactly where that is. So that's, they're, they're unique for sure. I just be cautious of being totally only analytical, ba- you know, analytical based in your brain doing things. You're not doing things for analytics. You're using analytics to improve your game for sure, to see where your deficiencies are and where you can get better. And then you watch the film and you see what's realistic to change or get better at. Um, so it's, it's definitely unique and it's, you know, it's helping the game
1: evolve. So a lot of people are using analytics, like you said, to figure out which areas of their game is weak, but uh, maybe more general questions. Maybe it's, what is some of the best off season work you've seen players to do to really make large steps from one season to the next? Cause there's only so much time. So what, what is, What are some things that players can do to really make those big jumps? And and I know you've worked a lot on your mitts, but uh, curious what you think.
3: Yeah, I might say it's it is biased in some regard because I have a company that does it, but it's literally studying your game film from the previous season and figuring out what you want out of your game and then practice specifically on those things. Uh, a lot of the time players just go out in the summertime and we all get together and 20 of us go on the ice. We do 15 minutes of drills. We all do the same drills. they usually flow drills. And then we scrimmage for 45 minutes. It's not working on your game. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, there's, that just, I think it's more practicing with a purpose and taking the ice time. If you're going to be on all summer, some guys like to shut it off and go away for two months and come back and pick it up. But the guys that are working, it seems like a lot more guys now are, are going all summer long and getting very specific with their training and getting things that they're deficient in. And that's, that's something that I think is huge. And, and I started doing that when I played with the Islanders with Brad Wheeler. And it, it was uh, very impactful in my game. I felt so much better going into training camp. I, I had much more control of my game and I was confident in it. Um, and that, that was one of the f- I, two summers I skated with him and it was much more specific stuff, uh, purposeful and, and practicing with a purpose. Instead of just, I used to do the same. I used to go out all the time, just, I thought I skated for an hour. So I was good. So I think that's summer where really focusing in on what you want out of the gaming. And that's what it got me good. When I was a kid, I used to really, you know, sometimes you lose that, you get going through your career and you forgot about what the, the home base was for you. Um, but for me, it was a lot of cycle work as a 12, 13, 14 year old kid working with Don Kernan out of Syracuse and his son, Donnie Kernan Jr. On shooting, it was cycle work and shooting and how to score off the cycle. And those were very, you know, Specific stuff. And when I was uh, top of the circles down, you know, from anywhere from 13 to 18, 19 years old, I was very, very confident. And I let that work go away a little bit. You know, as again, I got to the pro level, I just would go on the ice for an hour and, and I'd try hard and work really hard and come off sweating, but I didn't have that purposeful training and purposeful practices. So my game lagged a little bit. Then um, again, I went with wheels, dialed it back in, and I felt much better. But practicing with a purpose and, and, and really kind of that summertime is a great I think three months to really work on what you need to. Cause once you get into the season, it's, it's flow practices, it's, you know, a lot more team stuff and it's not so much time for you to work on that individual stuff.
1: So you've had a few off seasons with some NHL franchises and what, what are kind of the resources they're giving you on, on the off season or even in season? Cause I'm assuming it's going to be very different between a first round pick seventh round pick and someone who's on an AHL deal, you know, what kind of resources they're giving you and, and what that looks like. And, and where do you think that teams can go to really maximize the player development? I
3: mean, that's, that's somewhere where, um, the summer times are your own and that's for you to kind of dive into your game. That's, that's how it's bad. It's kind of changing now. I think, I don't know if it's changing now, but a lot more players are using individual, uh, call them skills development coaches or whatever whatever we're called um there's a lot of guys investing in that seeing the value of it and working on their game with an individual person that they trust and they 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 like their you know kind of information so it's a it's more the the players it's on them to go and get that resource but you know it comes you know when you're younger you got the you got the camps the rookie camps in july um you Know rookie camps are really somewhere where they, they bring a lot of skills development people in there and work on your stuff, skating, stick handling, all the stuff. Um, and then when you're a little bit older, you're again you're on your own. So it's it's really how you, what you make out of your summer. And it I know it doesn't matter, I don't think, as far as a draft pick, whether you're first round, fifth round, or whatever, they, they really want to give the resource to anybody that's under the organization. And you know, actually a seventh rounder is probably more valuable to give that stuff to when those seventh rounders turned into players. It's, it's huge for the team, huge for uh, scouts, huge for whoever picked them, found them. Uh, So they really invest in those guys as well. They invest in everybody. Uh,
2: One last question and thanks for your time. We really appreciate it. Um, Curious, you know, just big picture. What's, what's the vision for 44 vision, like best case scenario, five years from now, 44 vision will be fill in the blank. Uh, We'll
3: be, uh, again, an ecosystem for players that are coming out of the game and want to give back and have kind of a, a lane in it for to, to be a job, so to speak, and then evolving in somewhere where we're you know we're helping players get placed and, and being advisors, so to speak, and using our experience and our contacts to to uh, open doors for players. And so we develop them and help them find the right fit, right spot for them, where to play, and, and how to uh, climb the ladder to where they want to get to in pro or wherever it might be. Uh, in Europe, you know, obviously having great contacts there. So we'll be, I want to be, you know, 44 vision be a global company where we're helping players all over the world and get to where they want to be and developing them. And then at the same time offering guys that are, or women that are coming out of the game somewhere to, to find like a team setting and uh, feel like a family fit and have a, somewhere where they can be in the, involved in the game and, and kind of work remotely. But um, that'd be great just to have, have that for people to, to look forward to and, and be a part of and, once you kind of get in that experience and that knowledge kind of collected together, it's, it's a huge resource. Um, you, you know, you have an experience in the game, like a lot of these coaches, 10, 15 years, 20 years in the game, it's, that's a huge value and huge asset to give back and, and help other people develop and kind of give them the secrets to, to unlock the doors.
1: Uh, I gotta say, I think Dan and I need to uh, move our clients over to your platform. Clearly you guys are doing something right over there. It's exciting. <laughs>
3: I yeah, appreciate it. That's, that's exciting. It's a lot of fun. So I mean, we're doing some off ice stuff, uh, off-season stuff in the summertime. So we're going to have these, uh, you know, position specific camps, you know, where we got 10, 10 clients, we'll do 10 centers, 10 defensemen, 10 wingers, whatever that looks like. So it's specific in small groups and really can grow. And, and again, the coaches that you work with during the year through the video process, you'd be doing off, off-season stuff together with and developing there. So, Kind of trying to hit it at all angles.
1: No, that's wonderful. So uh, I only got one question left, and it's kind of off the board here. Um, or I guess kind of maybe a two-part here. Dan, Dan Fritchie is, is a Cleveland boy, so I maybe want to hear a good story about him. And then he spent a full year with Patrick O'Sullivan, which uh, I want to say you both are, are more uh, outgoing than most. So I'm curious if you got any good stories with you two.
3: <laughs> yeah, Danny Fritchie was my line mate in, uh, in London. He, Fritchie was awesome he was such a good guy uh, we had a blast together Fritchie, I love playing with him, he drove the net so hard he ran to, he just was like a madman once we got on the blue line he would go 100 miles an hour to the net I loved it, just throw sauce on his tape back door and if it didn't connect it, Fritchie would just bury the goalie, <laughs> he caused so much crap because he couldn't hit the brakes but uh, Fritchie was awesome I, I don't have any too good of stories you know, that are going to be crowd pleasers, but I, I really got a chance to play and appreciate his game and how hard he played. And he came back and played with us after playing in the NHL. Uh, so it was, it was cool to see that and learn from him and see what kind of pace an NHL guy would have, you know, playing junior guy, he went and played at 18 in the show and then came back at 19 with us. Um, and Sully, yeah, Sully was a veteran when I drafted the Mississauga and he was the he was the super vet. <laughs> He's a two year, 10 year guy, but no, I mean, it's all he got along great after, after the you know the initial, you know, the rookie kind of lets you know where you sit as a young guy and where you stand on the team. And after that kind of, you know, fades away, we had, we had a really good bond and he was one of the most skilled hockey players I ever played with that. I, I never seen anything like it. I remember watching him one time in Kingston, he came over and he took a snapshot from like, face off dot in the neutral zone it was such a hard shot it went in and out before the goal even moved i would never seen a shot this hard and when he wanted to shoot the puck he he could lay on it sully was uh, an unbelievable hockey player uh would get mad sometimes and you just go out and do whatever the hell he wanted you know what i mean like he's just like okay i'm gonna go score you go score it was nuts um so really got a chance and he was we used to play rebound our goalies hated us because either one of Patrick or myself would start in the rebound shots. we usually take all 10 of them and <laughs> Sally would go post it in, post it in. And I'd go next and go post it in, post it in, post it in. Um, it was fun. It was fun to be around those guys, really great hockey players. And it was uh, you know, a couple guys that I got to learn a lot from. That's something as you get older, you realize how many great players you played with and the things you picked up from them, little tips here, a little thing, just from watching them, watching how Sally used to shoot the puck, change the angle and go, would have no chance. And, um, you know, it's one thing Dan Balsma taught me when I was 20 years old in wilkes He's like, "Shrimpy, if I can tell you one thing, he's like, learn one thing from every guy that you play with. And that can be anything. It could be what they do for their pregame meal. It could be how they tape their socks. It literally doesn't matter what you learn, like pick up something from each guy. And that was unique advice. And it's something I tried to do through my career. Um, definitely uh some that's value that's again like i talk about experience in the game and having a long pro career you play with all these people you're getting information from different people all over the world and they do things differently and their past brought them here on a different route and um it's really again a lot of value in that
1: that's wonderful and i, I love that last piece learn one thing from every guy and sometimes it can be the opposite of positive there's things that you may want to avoid as well
3: <laughs> yeah yeah no it's not, it's not always good but you try to find the half glass, glasses half full but there's there's some yeah there's some teammates. it's just tough to find that
1: i I probably saying. your favorite though was that uh year you got to play with your brother in Syracuse that had to be a fun one
3: yeah we had a blast we really did we had a great time together and it was good to you know play uh, be able to stay at home and play junior and it was a great level like that the OPJHL for for us was a great route because it was, it was a great, it was a good league. It was very OHL like, you know, it was very competitive, a lot of games and very physical hockey. And, um, you know, as you mentioned at 14, 15 ish, I was really kind of leaning towards that OHL. So it kind of shaped our game, but playing with my brother, we get the bus rides all the time and, you know, brotherly love picking on each other, chirping each other, and scrapping on the bus all the time. The boys loved it. It was entertaining. And, uh, you know, we get, we enjoyed it it was it was great for our parents too, to be able to be in one place <laughs> you know growing up playing youth hockey he's three years older so it was like he's in one part of the state and I'd be in the other part of the state so it was it was tough but in junior for two years we got to be in the same boat uh, same place at the same time and that uh, yeah, was great
1: for us that's awesome well Rob can't thank you enough this was a ton of fun I've learned quite a few things and love what you're doing over there at 44 uh, i excited to see where it goes in the future
3: Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate your time. Sorry to push back today. I had to. I had to get the pond hockey in, man. Had to happen. All good. This is how you know
1: you're a true hockey player, right? That's there. right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, can't. Got to go play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Got a game. Pick up game.
1: Yep. Yeah, awesome. Thanks again, Rob. Really appreciate it. All the best to you. Thank you for tuning into the Hockey IQ Podcast. We are Hockey's Arsenal. Greg Riewak, and Dan Ducart. Together, we've come together to create a platform and a community to expand our hockey intelligence, hockey IQ, whatever you want to call it. Uh, We're very passionate about seeing this game played smarter and better and continue to develop itself uh, to the next level and staying on the cutting edge of things. So you can find us at Hockey's Arsenal on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We're also at Hockey'sArsenal.com. Uh, you, from there, you can find some resources and some options to work with us. We're excited to continue this. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, follow, and share. Uh, you can also join up for our newsletter as well, where we're going to tackle anything Hockey IQ related. So we're excited to have everyone here and continue to build.
0: That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch it, here next week for a brand new episode.